speak to him now. Lord God, we praise you for the name of Jesus. The word at the beginning is the living word for us today. You're still at work, Lord. That song gets me going. There's no name like yours, Jesus. Nothing that compares in beauty and power. Lord, we look forward with expectation to what you're going to say to us today. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Good morning, everybody. I'm Kim. I'm so glad you're here today. I have a question for you. How many of you like to grow your own vegetables at home? Yeah. Is there anything like a homegrown tomato? I love them. Well, my garden this year was just embarrassing. Now, I'll tell you about it, okay? We had this great friend who came over and helped us get it all planted, the water going and all. It was wonderful. But I began to see trouble pretty quickly, and the, the biggest trouble was me. I was lazy. I was distracted about getting down to the garden at all. And when I got down there, I started seeing munched kale leaves, you know, some insect. And I said, huh. And I I saw a great big hole in the middle of the garden, you know, some critter had dug, and half-eaten tomatoes hanging on the vine. And I said, huh. And I started hearing sounds at night I had never heard before. I mean, I would go out on my deck in the black of night and try strain to identify what is that sound, a screaming. Finally, we went online to just look for what is this, and this is what we found. Watch it. Did you know gophers can taunt you? I was sure ours was going, mm, good tomato. You know, I said, huh. We went to our community group. We've got some really legit gardeners in our community group. So we'd stand around in the kitchen drinking coffee, and I'd hear them talk about their gardens. Their gardens look like Jurassic Park. And, and I would hear them talk about their produce coming out their ears, and I would think about my munched kale leaves and my half-eaten tomatoes and my screaming, taunting rodent companion, and I just quietly felt sheepish inside, and I just said, huh. See, I'm not a gardener. Now, I could be, and that's what's embarrassing, but a gardener isn't distracted. A gardener isn't lazy. A gardener doesn't say, huh. A gardener gets invested attentively, passionately, painstakingly interested in the well-being of the produce and the fruit. And today we're going to be looking at a gardener like that. I love how Jesus uses word pictures to help us get spiritual truth. So would you get out your Bible? Because we're looking at John 15 today. And you know, all the notes, all the the verses you're going to need are here on these notes. It looks like this. If you get that out in a pen, it's a great way to stay connected with where we're going. Or, uh, you know, maybe you want to doodle. Or you could even make your grocery list if all of this talk about fruit makes you hungry. Well, John 15, 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Now, this is basic and some of you know this, but we're just going to lay the context, Okay. God is the gardener. You might want to write that down. Jesus is the vine. And here's a peek ahead. I am a branch. It's in verse 5. Ron read it earlier. Now, there's a backstory 
to what Jesus was sharing here, okay? He, he was talking to his disciples on the very last evening that they would share together. They started out, you can read about it in John 13, in what was called the upper room. They were sharing this meal, and I just picture when that meal ended that maybe they got up and they started to walk through Jerusalem toward the Mount of Olives, and, and Jesus, they, they come up next to a vineyard. I mean, that was a common sight there in Israel. And I just picture Jesus stopping next to that vineyard and looking his guys in the eye and saying to them, you know, I am the true vine. And, and they would have said, what? Huh? That, was, that would have been confusing to them, a head scratcher. Because, see, these guys were Jewish. And they had grown up hearing the word vine from reading the prophets. And every time they read vine, it was to them a symbol of Israel. And now they would have heard Jesus say, I am the vine. They, they would have thought, what? But see, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. He's, he's going, I'm talking to you guys about what sustains you. W- would you notice that word true and circle it? On your notes there, just circle the word true. He's saying there are false vines. Maybe it's our nationalistic pride, just like the people of Israel had, where where God had chosen to bless them with his presence. Or maybe for us, our vine is the truck we drive. Or maybe it's how many Facebook friends we have. Or maybe it's our achievement at work or what our, our kids have achieved. Maybe For us, our our vine is how our IRA is doing, or maybe it's our appearance. I'll never forget in high school, my friend told me that she knew how the day was going to go based on when she got up in the morning, she looked in the mirror and she thought, is it a good hair day or a bad hair day? Now, none of us are that shallow, right? Maybe our vine is what people say about us. I have a friend who has some grandkids that she gets to watch. They're, they're twins. They're a boy and a girl, and they're five years old. And last week she was watching them, and the girl, Ava, came running in and crying, lamenting about her brothers, going, he called me serious. And my friend said to her, well, do you know what that means? And Ava yelled, it means serious. <laughs> See, no one and nothing can be our source except Jesus. And so this is vital. It's so vital that Jesus made it his final I am statement. So let's take a look at what did he mean by this metaphor. Let's just dissect it, okay? First, he wants you to know as a branch, the gardener is actively engaged in me. He's actively engaged. He's not a gardener who says, huh. Look at verse 2. He, the gardener, cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more fruit. So when the gardener looks at the vine, if a branch does bear fruit, let's write this down, it gets pruned. And if it doesn't bear fruit, it's gone. Cut off entirely, no more. Now wait, this sounds like a no-win. Where is the verse that says, Way to go, branch that's bearing fruit. Clearly you're doing something right. I'm going to leave you alone. Keep up the good work. Now, I'm not a gardener, and I wanted to get inside the head of a gardener. So I reached out to some real gardeners, my friends Chris and Gary Smith. I've been passing Smith Vineyard on Dog Bar Road for years, and I caught up with them on their, in, in their tasting room here on Mill Street. 
And when I told them I had some questions for the vine grower and how it connects to Jesus' words here, Chris's eyes just lit up. She said, oh, this is my favorite thing to talk about. And she said, they told me that a vine that gets left alone would be lush and green, but there would be no fruit on it. So the gardener is actively engaged, and one of the most important things the gardener does is pruning. Now, let me share some different ways that the gardener prunes the branch. Bear with me. I am a novice. But when the vine starts pushing out shoots early in the spring, Gary says those need to be thinned. It's called thinning out. The gardener has to choose which branches will bear the best fruit because they have to just be selective. He knows that if he just lets it go, that it's going to just sap the vigor, the energy of the vine to produce fruit. And you know, our lives can send out shoots like crazy, just like the vine. I mean, so many interests, frenetic activities, Facebook conversations, social media everywhere, commitments, and it, it never ends. We can get as out of control as the vine. Yet if you're single, you, you can in, invest yourself in a new interest every day. If you're a parent, opportunities for your kids abound. If you're retired, you can get more involved than ever. Your to-do list just keeps growing. And at some point, we might need to say, whoa, is this where all the fruit might come from? You might say, but Kim, I see potential for fruit in every one of these pursuits. Well, yes, but I have a question. Will all of it get what it needs in order to ripen? Gary described a really dramatic scene on their vineyard. They got almost to harvest. It was a great year, and they had like seven tons of grapes hanging on the vine on just one acre. And he said, there's no way all of it could ripen. So they brought in a crew, and they just cut off a whole ton of fruit. Can you imagine? And he said, it still wouldn't ripen. So they brought that crew back to drop another ton. And the crew said, really? And Gary had to prod them, convince them, say, drop it, drop it. And you know, for many of us, I think the gardener might say something like that to us about all of our pursuits. Let's do some thinning. What needs to go? You know, you might see potential fruit, but he's not only interested in quantity. He's looking for a certain sweetness, a quality of fruit, fruit that'll last. Gary told me more fruit doesn't mean better fruit. So I have a question. Can you hand the gardener the shears so that the quality fruit that he wants to have ripen in your life can get what it needs? So that's thinning. And then I want to show you this diagram because Gary described another kind of pruning, and it's been called pinching. Off the main trunk, see, there are the cordons, the the horizontal part. And off of them, you can see on the left side, there are those spurs. And that's where the branches that are good are going to grow back. They're called canes. And you see, the gardener has to be careful, though, not to let that new growth come back too quickly. Because if new growth happens too quickly or a big windy storm comes, that new growth is not going to make it or the fruit is not going to be as good. So what does the gardener do? The gardener pinches back that growth early in the season. 
to allow those branches to build up strength and sustenance and energy. And Chris says, every time you cut the vine back, you make it struggle for growth. It shocks the vine in a good way so that when the right season comes, that those branches will produce great fruit. In fact, I was surprised to learn that the gardener makes it tough at every life stage. In fact, he even plants the vine in rocky soil. He makes it work to get to water and nutrients. So there's thinning and there's pinching and there's dropping fruit. The the gardener makes the vine struggle. Now, why? Because struggling vines make better wines. Catchy, huh? You know where I heard that? A couple of weeks ago, a number of us got to go over to Sacramento and hear Beth Moore speak. And it was just phenomenal. I got seated at the Golden One Center. You know, it's a lot of work just to get there, right? And then my mouth dropped when Beth started talking and said that out of the whole Bible, that this very passage where Jesus said, I am the vine, was her whole topic. I just wanted to laugh out loud. I could feel God smiling at me saying, Kim, I know what you're getting ready to teach, and I know you don't know anything about wine. You know, God knows I'm from a background where people get really nervous when you use wine as a metaphor. Very nervous. And Beth said that struggling vines make better wine. Now, how many of you knew that? Lots of you were raised out here in wine country. Struggling vines do better. Now, I I asked Gary then, okay, then how long from the moment a vine grower plants the vine until he allows it to bear fruit? And Gary said three years. Now, here's a question. How long was Jesus with his disciples? Three years. And now he's coming to this evening, and he looks them in the eye, and he says, my father's the gardener, I'm the vine, I'm getting ready to go, and now it's your time to bloom. See, we live in a microwave culture where everything is about fast success. People become celebrities overnight. Viral, uh, I mean, sorry, blogs go viral in a day, and people are suddenly famous. It can make us start to think that we need everything now. But the master gardener isn't afraid to pinch to make you wait, to slow you down. Maybe you're going through a waiting time right now, and it's painful. I remember how hard it was when Ron and I went through infertility. Maybe for you, it's about getting married. You might look at somebody else and say, why are they married and I'm not? Or why does he have a job and I don't? Or maybe for you, it's about being healed or struggling through recovery. Do you ever find yourself wanting to say to God, the gardener, is this what you call pruning? I mean, this process, it just hurts too much. Do you ever feel like pulling back from the gardener? Well, let me say this. He gets it. He looks into your eyes with understanding. Remember where Jesus was in his own journey that night. He was about to face the cross. But here he is talking about joy. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, when you think of Jesus' face, do you picture him joyful, smiling? Maybe we think of him as frowning at us in disappointment 
Or maybe he has a furrowed brow because he's so worried. No, Jesus is saying, I have joy and I want you to experience it. You know, I love art that portrays Jesus this way. This is an artist who really gets it. Jesus is saying, hey, I want my joy to be in you. He's saying you're in a process and there's joy to be looked for in the process. The Bible says that it was for the joy ahead of him that he endured the cross. Now, when you think of a process, really a glass of wine is a picture of hope, isn't it? I mean, really, from the time of planting till the moment when that first glass of wine is poured is a minimum of nine years. I mean, it takes three years to to harvest a single grape. It's an involved process. That's why wine is more expensive than table grapes. It's been through so much. It's been crushed. And you're in a process too. And what's being pressed and formed in you can produce something precious. Steve Carter said it this way. One day when your life is poured out and when people taste of that story, it's going to point them to a great gardener who is passionately invested in doing a work uniquely in you. Then in verse 3, Jesus says, You are already clean. Would you circle the word clean? Because of the word I have spoken to you. What does Jesus mean by clean? Well, imagine all the dust that comes across the Middle East and covering those grapes. You know, in fact, today, even today, they don't always use a trellis like we do to grow the the vine. Sometimes they grow them right on the ground. And the the, uh, disciples would have seen this, that part of the gardener's job was to clean the grapes. And now Jesus is saying, you know what cleans you up? It's when you listen to me and you do what I've taught you. What I've said about loving each other and forgiving each other and serving, if you'll hold on to these words and do them, it will keep you clean. And then I hear Jesus saying, he wants us to remember this, the vine is bountiful life to me. Bountiful life. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide, abide, abide. Three times in that one verse. In fact, I counted them. In like eight verses, Jesus said the word abide something like 11 or 12 times. Now, in your Bible, it may have the word remain. And both those words, abide and remain, they mean the same thing. They come from a Greek word, meno, which means abode. Now, what's an abode? It's a home. This means to make Jesus your home. Make him your safe place. I love the soul in the word abide. It's the invitation Jesus gives every one of us to experience Christ as our source. So think about it. Is he your safe place when you go into that meeting? Or when you go out onto that soccer field to coach? Or when you go into that restaurant to work or wherever? Is he the place where you find your life comes from? Do you know how to let him fill you with life while you're fixing that car, while you're driving in traffic? Jesus says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. Listen, we are expert at compartmentalizing our lives, aren't we? I mean, 
you know, I, I give some of my energy to my job and some of my energy to my social life. And of course, my family gets some of my energy. And oh yeah, I'll give Jesus some of my energy. But you know, I have a limited capacity, so I have to diversify. Jesus is going, no, I am your vine. Make me your source for every aspect of your life. Jesus says to let him be the one who gives uninterrupted life into you. Let nothing stop the flow. Being able to say to Jesus, hey, Lord, not just on Sundays, but in every nook and cranny of my life, I want your life to flow into me wherever I am. You know, I had you write the phrase bountiful life because there is no limit. Not only that, his life is not just bountiful to you, but his life is bountiful through you. You might want to write that there in the margin. His life is bountiful through me. You know, I heard many meaningful uh, connections and encounters that you had uh, between yourselves and our community as they went through the horrible Lobo fire. His life was flowing through you to others who had been displaced and were hurting because you had made Christ your home. You were connected to him, so you were ready to share yourselves with those who were hurting. Even some of you who had been evacuated from your own home, you were worried about your own place, you were still available to be present and give empathy to others because his life was flowing through you. But how do you do it? How do you abide well, I just want to share one way that's, that I'm finding is working for me, and it's this, to keep looking for people, places, and pastimes who connect me with the vine's life. The people in your life, maybe people here at church or maybe in your community group, maybe it's a support group where you find these people. Maybe it's somebody who understands the journey through, through recovery. Maybe it's celebrate recovery. Wherever it is, find these people who share your humanity and who understand that Jesus is the source. Listen to them. And then what about places? Places where you connect with the life of the vine. For me, it it might be in nature. I love to get near the water, like a river or a lake or the ocean. Maybe for you, be a walk in the woods or, or a special chair where you like to read your Bible. Find those places and make time to get there. And then what about our pastimes? You know, we have so many moments in our lives where we pass the time. And what about instead of listening to music, what if you connect to a podcast that draws you closer to the life of Christ? And I've noticed, you know, on our iPhones, there's a lot of options, right? I mean, there's some great games. I have a friend who's told me that Cookie Jam Blast is a fun game. And I like Duolingo. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those games. But what if we took time to just connect to a Bible app? You know what it's allowed me to do is actually begin to make my way through a Bible reading plan. Because version, I'll play it into my ear for me. It's a great thing when we are careful with the people and the places and the pastimes that we connect to. And then in verse 5, what did Jesus mean at the end of that verse? He said, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We all know people who do lots of stuff, don't we? People who don't have any connection to God at all. I mean, they've been able to make lots of money. 
They've been able to get famous just through their savvy and their, their smarts. But, you know, Beth Moore helped me to unpack this. She kind of gave a paraphrase. She said, Jesus was saying, without me, you can do nothing that you can't do anyway. Think about it. See, God isn't trying to make just a better version of what you can do. He says, no, I want to do something through you that you're incapable of doing. You know, when Holy Spirit is working through us, we can't take the credit because we know we're incapable. We don't have the capacity. When I was six years old, our family visited an old graveyard where our loved ones had been buried. But for me, it was like Disney because my dad, right there in the car, sat me on his lap and let me drive around the cemetery. My pigtails were bobbing. I remember saying, let me work the pedals. And he said, no, I got the pedals. I was driving top speeds of two miles per hour around that graveyard in that 69 Chevy zippy thing. God wants you and me to climb onto his lap and do what would be impossible for us to do. We just have to remember who's driving and whose pigtails are bobbing. See, without him, we can do nothing that will have lasting value. I know of a woman here in our church who has invested herself in our students, and I don't mean just on Sunday. Her heart breaks for the issues that our young believers are facing. And so when she hears of a young one who is struggling with some issue, she will take that one out for a pumpkin spice latte with whipped cream or whatever, just to talk. Now, here's my question. When God helps that girl with that struggle, and she grows up to be a mighty woman of God who leads others to Christ, will anybody remember the name of this woman who took her out? Maybe not, but in 50 years... There will still be fruit. That's fruit that will last. See, somebody can be sipping from your life years after you're dead. This is vintage George. This is vintage Suzanne. Do you hear what I'm saying? So the gardener is actively engaged in you. The vine is bountiful life to you and through you. And then what about the branch? Jesus says you and I are the branch. Well, God wants us to be able to say this about ourselves. I am chosen to be his fruit-bearing branch. You know, your life might feel hard. You might want to say, I'm being picked on. No, you're not being picked on. You've been picked out. Look at how Jesus said in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You might be sitting there saying, huh, me? There hasn't been any fruit for me in years. I mean, I feel like a dead branch. Does this mean I've been cut off? No, it doesn't mean that. Let me tell you about something I heard from the Smiths. It's called grafting. Maybe you've heard of it. It was fascinating. See, if the gardener, for some reason, isn't happy with a kind of fruit that he's seeing from the vine, he can choose another variety. The branch of his choice. See on the left, he's taken a branch and he's cutting it. And he ends up with a little plug, like on his fingertips here. A different variety. And then he comes to the old grapevine. Now, the root system is well-established, but he lops off the whole top of it. 
And then the first thing he does is he cuts it. And the idea is to make the vine weep, to make it bleed. And I want you to watch this little video clip. I got it on YouTube. And it's a very important first step, okay? And I want you to listen to the crowd who's standing around. They gasp because it's really violent. Watch this. You go down and you cut the vine. (laughs) And you go on on either side. (laughs) And also, when you cut on either side, you make, make sure you don't cut in the same area. So you cut here, and then you cut a little higher or a little lower. Just cut till it stops bleeding. You know what? The vine has to bleed. And then the vine grower waits about three days, maybe a little more. And then here's the next thing he does. He comes and he cuts a T, a great big T, first a vertical line and then a horizontal line like that. And he pulls that back and he takes that little bud, that carefully chosen branch that he cut down and he puts it down in the T. And then he closes it up like that. He binds that big T and then he waits. The life of the vine fills that new branch and it begins to bear a different kind of grape. Are you getting this? It hit me powerfully. This is a picture of the gospel. The Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. There's somebody here today that needs to see this new life coming forth today. Every one of us who's believed in Christ has been grafted in. The gardener knows what he's doing. You might think you're never going to bear any fruit that's going to make any lasting difference, but he's going, no, you don't get it. I wept. I bled for you so you could be grafted in. You see, you are not an accident. You are not destined to be inconsequential. It is God's will for your life to be profoundly impactful. He wants to bring from your life a supernatural harvest. He says, I chose you. It's hard for some of us to accept this, that you're a divine choice. I mean, some of us here have even heard somebody say, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. It's hard to imagine, but listen, before your parents ever laid eyes on you, the divine eyes of love saw you as precious of infinite beauty, of eternal value. And the fact that he's chosen you doesn't mean that he's rejected somebody else. No, he accepts someone else in their own uniqueness. We cannot surrender this word chosen to this competitive, short-sighted world. Dare to claim it. You were chosen. And the reason I wanted to land here is this. It's like the binding the binding that connects you to the life of the vine. You can ask the smiths. In the vineyard, the success of a graft depends on how well it connects to the life of the vine and abides there and lets that life fill it. It's critical in your spiritual life to hold on to the fact you were chosen. And then Chris shared one more picture with me about her vineyard, she almost cried when she shared this. She said, 
that even after a vine has been grafted, and this picture was taken three days ago in her vineyard. This is an 11-year-old graft. You can barely see the white binding hanging there. She said 11 years later, she can still walk up and look down on the ground and see what's called suckers. You see the green coming up from the ground? Those are suckers. That's the old life trying to creep back in, trying to take hold again. She says for her, that's a picture of her old self lying to her, trying to pull her back into old resentments, old habits, old hang-ups. And you know, the Bible says that in every one of us who have come to Christ, we still have an old fallen nature, and we've got to watch and unmask the lies, okay? Be ready to cut them off from that old life. Now, here's one powerful way you can do that, and it's to celebrate your chosenness constantly. Celebrate Say thank you to the gardener. You may not even feel grateful. That's okay. You can begin to cultivate an appreciation by telling him, thank you, Lord, that you chose me. Henry Nouwen said it this way, gratitude is the most fruitful way of deepening your consciousness that you are not an accident. You are a divine choice. Gratitude is one powerful way to abide. And for me, I try to fall out of bed every morning, first thing, right on my knees next to the dog, and just say, thank you, God. Thank you that in your grace you chose me. It's not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I'm going to do, but just because of grace. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So when fruit is seen from your life, it shows that his life is filling you. Showing yourselves to be the chosen. Showing yourselves to be the ones who recognize this name who changes everything. We've come to the end of our series where Jesus said, I am. He said seven statements. I am the bread. I am the light. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, friends, I have to ask myself a question. I hope you're going to ask yourself this. Have I allowed him to be that for me in my life? Jesus' message is clear. He's saying, I will be all that you need. And our team has come to share a beautiful song with us about who Jesus is. I'm so grateful for who Jesus is for you and me. Freedom from the chains that bind us.
Thank you, David. Let's just stop right now and talk to our vine. Lord Jesus, there truly is no one like you. You carry our healing in your hands. Lord, you roared like a lion. You bled for us. You bled as the vine so that we could be grafted in. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price that we could know new life meaning, purpose in your kingdom so that fruit will come through us. Lord, it's all about getting glory to your name, not to ours. We thank you, Father, for being the gardener who would take the shears to us and prune. We want to hand them over to you freely and invite you to do your work today. We want to trust you in that. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for the bountiful life that flows from you continually to us and through us. Lord God, we, we praise you. You are the great I am. Thank you that all you have always been is all that we need and you will be. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> 